one of the things that we are commanded to do in Scripture is to fellowship, and that's one of the ways we worship with one another. Fellowship, it's a lot deeper than just telling somebody hello, but if you don't ever tell somebody hello, you're probably not going to get to the deeper level of uh, fellowship. And so um, we, uh, it's good for us to do that. I think it brings honor and glory to the Lord. If you got your Bibles, I hope you do. I invite you to open up to First Peter chapter 2. First Peter chapter 2, we're going to look in verses 13 through uh, 17 today. The title of our message is Mission of Submission, Government and Citizens. Mission of Submission, Government and Citizens. If you will, join me in prayer. Father, as we come to this most important time in our service where we open up your word, something that you have, you have commanded us to do as individuals, we are to read your word as followers of Christ, Lord. In your word, we find uh, words of life, Lord. We find words of healing. We find words of hope. We find words of, of conviction. We find words of truth. And so we are to do that individually. But, Father, you have also commanded that when the church gathers, that there is to be the reading and the preaching of your word. And so we thank you, Father, that we have access to your written word. We have copies of it. Uh, Father, we thank you for the Holy Spirit in us that uh, enlightens our, our minds and illuminates the words of Scripture to make sense to us and so that we can understand the spiritual truths that it contains. Uh, but, Father, um, all of that is in vain if we don't obey your word. And so, Father, I pray that as, uh, as we look at this passage today, Lord, I pray that uh, you would... You would speak into our hearts, help us to understand how we can put this into practice in our daily lives so that you would be honored and glorified uh, through this time and through our response to it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Two things certain in life. What are they? Taxes and death. That's right. Two things certain in life. Death and taxes. What are we to do with the death part of that? Well, we could talk for that a long, about that a long time, but I think I would simply say, be prepared. Be prepared. Make sure we're prepared for it. Primarily, uh, we prepare for death by trusting in Jesus Christ alone for salvation. But what about that other part? What are we to do with the taxes? Well, in Jesus' words, pay them. That's right. Uh, pay them. And that's exactly what Jesus said. In fact, in Matthew chapter 22, you don't have to turn there, but in Matthew chapter 22, uh, the Pharisees did what they like to always do. They tried to trip Jesus up, and this time it was with a question about taxes. And they basically said, hey, Jesus, uh, should we pay taxes? And, um, and there's a lot of reasons why they asked that question and how they were going to try to trip him up. And uh, Jesus, being uh, God and always knowing the right thing to say and uh, not falling into their trap, he said, uh, show me a show me some money. Show me some. Give me a coin. They gave him a coin. I said, whose picture is on it? They said, Caesar's. He said, whose inscription is on it? Jesus said, or they said, Caesar's. And Jesus said, give to Caesar's what belongs to Caesar's and give to God what belongs to God. And this is my translation, but they all walked away with their mouths hanging open and thought, man, we got to come up with something better than that because he got us on that one. Uh, now, the main point of that passage in Matthew, Matthew chapter 22, the main point of that isn't simply that we should pay our taxes. There's a, a, another truth that's being made there, most, most namely that Jesus is the Son of God and that he was not going to fall prey to the schemes of the Pharisees. But it was a part of the point that Jesus was making. But it is the main point of the passage before us today, except our passage is going to speak on a more general or a broader level, but one of the 
applications of it would be paying our taxes. Now, just like paying our taxes is not a fun thing to do, uh, it's tempting to come to a passage of Scripture like this and go, this is about as fun as paying my taxes. (laughs) I'd rather be somewhere else. I'd rather be doing something else. And uh, I'm with you on that uh, uh, to a certain extent. And, uh, and I've had to remind myself even this week, and this is just me being just open and candid before you, that this is the Word of God. And uh, you know how I always say, um, this is my favorite passage of Scripture. You know how I always say that? Like, it's all my favorite. And so it's really, yeah, I just say that all the time. This is a passage that I've never said. This is my favorite, favorite passage of Scripture. And to be honest, I probably will never say that this is my favorite passage of Scripture. But hear me. And this is something the Lord has been working in my heart this week as well. I've been preparing for this message um, in this passage of Scripture. This is as much the Word of God as John 3.16 is the Word of God. And we have been commanded, even in the Great Commission, right, that was read at the beginning of the service, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded to you. And if we are going to teach others to obey all that God has commanded us, I think it behooves us to also obey all that God has commanded us. And this passage is one of the things that uh, we have instructions about, about how we are to live our lives as believers in this fallen world. And so uh, without further ado, I want to read uh, for us 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13 through 17. We'll talk about a little context and we'll dive into this passage. Beginning in verse 13 of chapter 2, 1 Peter, this is the word of God. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God, honor the emperor, honor the emperor. We are to be exiles and we are to be exiles on mission. And part of being exiles on mission is that we must submit to governing authorities for the glory of God. Exiles on mission must submit to governing authorities for the glory of God. Just to catch us up on where where we have been, we have talked about the fact that we are elect exiles, which means God has chosen us to belong to him, but not to belong to the world. If we belong to God, we don't belong to the world. That's what it means to be an elect exile. And we've seen that we have been born again to a living hope. We have received from God this great gift of salvation. We learned that in the first part of chapter 1. Later in chapter 1 and on into chapter 2 a little ways, we saw that we have not only been born again to a living hope, but we have been called to a new standard of living. And that could really be summarized by holiness. God has called us to live holy and perfect lives before Him, including living in love towards one another. And then on into chapter 2, Peter talked about our new identity in Christ. And we have been blessed with this new identity as the people of God. We're joined together. But then we learned that last week that we are not simply to congregate together with God's people in our new identity and just live in this in this uh, this holy huddle, if you will, in the four walls of the church. We are to engage our world. 
We are to live on mission. When we saw that, if you were to back up to verses 11 and 12, we saw that we are to live on mission. We do that in two ways in verses 11 and 12. One, by abstaining from the passions of the flesh. That's another way of saying run from sin. Run from sin. And in the second way, we live on mission in this world in this general sense is instead of sinning and running, we're to run from sin and we're to run to good deeds. We're to fill our lives with good deeds. What is the purpose there? So that the nations, the Gentiles, those who don't yet belong to God, would turn to God and become worshipers of him. So they would glorify God on the day of visitation. We are exiles on mission. Now, perhaps you've heard this battle strategy. It's time to divide and conquer. You ever heard that before? It's time to divide and conquer. Well, it's a little bit different strategy that we have. See, verses 11 and 12 in chapter 2, really a summary for a whole section in 1 Peter that goes all the way through chapter 4, verse 11. We could title this whole section, Living on Mission. This is how we are to engage and live in our world as Christians. Instead of dividing and conquering, the strategy is to submit and suffer. Let that sink in for just a moment. The strategy for us in living on mission is to submit and suffer. Submit and suffer. Maybe you say, wait, what? What kind of strategy is this? This is the strategy that God gives us in his word. We are to submit and suffer. This is the way we are to live as exiles on mission in our world. But this shouldn't come as any surprise to us. Because the one that we call king, the one that we call Lord, the one that we call savior and master, the one that we have chosen to follow, we could characterize his life on this earth as one full of submission and suffering. When Jesus came to live on mission to save sinners from their sin, he did so by submitting and suffering. And he calls us to do no more than he's done, but he calls us to do no less. You say, where in the world do we see the submission and suffering well, we see the suffering really all throughout this section of First Peter, but especially in the second half of this section about living on mission. And so we'll talk more about the suffering in weeks to come. But he begins with this call to submit. Look in verse 13. Perhaps your translation uses the word submit or maybe be subject. Verse 13, be subject. Skip down to verse 18. Submit or be subject. Go to chapter 3, verse 1. Be subject or submit. In this passage, the theme here is how we live on exile, on mission as exiles. And the first thing we see is that we are to submit. There's three areas. We see these three commands to submit. There's three arenas in which Peter describes our submission as we think about this word of submission, I'm going to share with you what one Christian writer said. He said, Peter draws a radical and difficult conclusion. Christians who would live as servants of God in this world must be willing to live in submission to others. And truly, that is a radical call on our lives. Why? Because we don't easily submit. That's not something fun to do in our flesh. 
In fact, rarely do we choose to submit on our own. But Jesus changes us. When we trust in Him, He comes into us and He changes us. And He calls us to a different way of living and He empowers us through His Holy Spirit who now lives in us to do what He has called us to do. And one of those things is to submit. The first passage in this larger section of submission addresses government and citizens. So I want to share with you from these verses four truths that I think will help us understand and obey the command to submit to the governing authorities. Truth number one is this. Our submission to the government honors Jesus. Our submission to the government honors Jesus. Notice verse 13. Be subject for the Lord's sake. Lord, they're referring to Jesus. Be subject or submit for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. Just in case you're wondering if Peter's the only one who seems to be off his rocker calling us to submit to the governing authorities. No, he's not. God inspired not only Peter, but Paul to write the very same thing. We find in Romans chapter 13, verse 1, these words, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. And in Paul's letter to Titus in chapter 3, verse 1 of Titus, Paul wrote, remind them, talking about the Christians in the church there, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities. What is this command? It is to submit. What does it mean to submit? And we could, we could say that submission is a, is a way of following. It's, it's, it's an act of following. In fact, it's a, it's a voluntary following. It is choosing to be led by someone. And in fact, later on in chapter 3, Peter's going to use the words submit and obey interchangeably. And so we could also say that to submit means to obey. Who are we to obey here in this passage? Well, perhaps your translation uses the phrase, we are to submit for the Lord's sake to every human institution or maybe every human authority. In fact, the, the actual word in the original language is to every creature. We are to submit to every creature. It's the word creature. Now, why would our translations translate it to the to the human institutions? Well, because context tells us the creatures that Peter is calling the church to submit to are the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by. The context is the the governing authorities in the land in which you live. And so to help us understand that, they translate that. Uh, human institutions or governing authorities. But I think Peter was reminding the believers of something, something when he used the word creature. I think the Holy Spirit was doing something when he inspired that word. Instead of just saying submit to the governing authorities and instead using the word submit to every creature, it was a reminder that the governing authorities are creatures. They are not God. Let me say that one more time. The governing authorities are creatures not God. That was especially important in Peter's uh, context in which he's writing where Caesar was Lord, or at least so he thought, right? That was what they, that was their, that was their slogan. That was their, that was their, uh, their, their slogan for their uh, country, for the Roman Empire. Caesar is Lord. Caesar is Lord. Caesar is Lord. And now here is Peter writing to believers. And here we see the the, the tension and the dichotomy we have living in this world and yet belonging to God. He's writing, telling them to submit 
to the governing authorities, submit to Caesar, but he doesn't call Caesar Lord. He calls Caesar a creature, a creation. He wasn't trying to demean or belittle Caesar, but he was putting Caesar on the proper level. Caesar was not Lord. And yet, and yet, he is calling the believers to submit to him. There is one God, and to him our ultimate allegiance is owed, and yet we are called to submit to those in governing positions. And we'll come back to that thought later on. In fact, we see this hinted at all throughout this uh, passage that God is our ultimate authority, and yet we are to submit to those in positions of authority. Notice how he describes these positions whether it be to the emperor, literally the word is king. But again, in the context in which, in which Peter was writing, uh, he was seen, Caesar was seen as the emperor. And so that that leader of the, the country or the nation, but also to the governors as sent by him. Now, that's not talking about sent by God. That's not, that's talking about sent by the emperor. And so just like in pretty much any governing uh, governing body, there's someone who's kind of on top, so to speak, but there are others as well. So Peter's saying, hey, it's not just Caesar, it's not just the king, it's not just the one on top, but also any governing authority. Kind of, kind of cast that net fairly wide there. Those in authority and governmental authority over you. We also learn about the function of the government here. It says that they exist to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. To punish those who do evil and praise those who do good. In other words, the government exists to create order in society and to help maintain that order. Romans chapter 13, verses 3 through 5, in that same passage that I referenced earlier where Paul says, let everyone be subject to the governing authorities. A few verses later, he says this, For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. And we see other places in the scriptures. God's purpose for government in our world is to punish what is wrong, the wrongdoers, and to praise that which is good to help create order. What does all of this lead us to understanding who the government is, who they are called? They're called creatures. They are not God. We go back to the command. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. Be subject for the Lord's sake to the governing authorities. We submit to governing authorities for Jesus and not for the government. That phrase is crucial for the Lord's sake. For the Lord's sake, Peter is saying, do this. Our submission to the state is not out of allegiance to the state, but out of allegiance to Jesus So here's what that means. When submission means doing something we would prefer not to do, perhaps something that is an inconvenience, we need to joyfully submit because we know that we are honoring Jesus. We do it for the Lord's sake. So when you're writing that check for your taxes, and it seems sometimes to be an inconvenience, it's not always fun to do that. 
we say, and I'm doing this for Jesus. And when I'm doing things for Jesus, I can do them with joy in my heart. This also, though, provides a limit to our obedience to the state if we're doing it for Jesus, ultimately. But we'll talk about that limit in just a few minutes. Truth number two. Truth number two. Our submission to the government silences ignorance. Our submission to the government silences ignorance. Notice verse 15. For this is the will of God. Now, I think that's referring back to the command. Be subject for the Lord's sake, for this is the will of God. But then notice the rest of verse 15. That by doing good, there's a purpose here, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Well, that's an interesting phrase. Let's unpack that for just a moment. One thing we learn here in verse 15 is that there are foolish people. Perhaps you say, yes, I know that. In fact, I can name a few. Um, I've been there. Sometimes I still find myself acting foolishly. But who are these foolish people that he's talking about? He's not talking about the government, okay? He's not talking about that here. He's talking about anyone in society who's an unbeliever who would seek to, as they walk in darkness, rejecting God, who would seek to slander believers. Wait a second. Sounds like we've just talked about that. We did last week in verse 12. Remember what he said in verse 12? Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers. We've already been told not if, but when they speak against you as evildoers. In the society in which Peter is writing this letter to believers, the, the, the Christians were thought to be subversive to the government. Why? What did Jesus command them to do? Confess that he was Lord, not Caesar. Well, now it sounds like there's this uprising that's going to take place. And so the world looked at the Christians and said, they're subversive to the government. And they started making up all these things about them and slandering them and calling them evildoers. Well, that wasn't the case at all. And Peter says they're acting foolishly. God says they're acting out of their ignorance. One writer said this, the whole phrase here refers to the kind of talkers who run Christianity down without either reason or knowledge. I think there are some of those folks in our society today. The whole phrase, he says, refers to the kind of talkers who run Christianity down without reason or knowledge. There will exist people in our lives as we live as exiles who will seek to run Christianity down without cause. And Scripture calls them ignorant and foolish. Now, our submissive lifestyles to the governing authorities provide no grounding for the accusations that the unbelieving world hurls at Christians. But, but, if we live in defiance of the governing authorities, if we don't obey this, then we provide evidence to support the accusations that unbelievers would hurl at us. So what, there's got to be a bigger purpose than just shutting them up. Is that literally what God is calling us to do? Shut up your accusers by, by doing good and submitting? No, we can't lose sight of the opening of this section about living on mission. What was the goal back in verse 12? The goal isn't just to shut up the unbelievers, the goal is that they would become worshipers of God. The goal is evangelism. The goal is missions. 
Right. And that goal hasn't changed. And so here in verse 15, what is the purpose of silencing the foolish? Well, it is a missional purpose in silencing them. Our aim is to shine the light of Christ so that they will turn from their ignorant rebellion against God to glad submission to God. Remembering that we, too, once walked in this ignorance and darkness and God has graciously called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Look back there in verse nine. And we want God to do this, to, to do the same thing to those around us who haven't yet experienced the blessing of salvation. We want them to go from darkness to light as well. And so there's a missional purpose in putting to silence the ignorance of foolish people. But please just note the way that we put them to silence is not by yelling louder than them. The way we put them to silence is through our good deeds. And specifically here, our good deed of submitting to the governing authorities. I keep using paying our taxes as just an example. Of course, there's lots of other examples, but just for the sake of it, I'll just stick with that. So when we pay our taxes and we pay whether we like it or not, we do that on time. We don't pitch a fit about it. Then when the world says, oh, these Christians. And those who are starting to watch and pay attention say, you mean the people that always pay their taxes on time? Well, what are they doing to subvert the government? Say, oh, yeah, I guess I don't really have a leg to stand on. And then we multiply that with more good deeds and more good deeds and more good deeds. And our goal is to silence the wrong accusations so that they will see why we are living the way we are living. And that is the glory of God. And then our desire is that they too would turn and become worshipers of God as well. Our submission to the government silences ignorance. Truth number three, our submission to the government is an act of freedom. It's an interesting one. Our submission to the government is an act of freedom. You see, here's what's crazy about the Christian life is, is this full of opposites, right? I mean, Jesus says, if you want to live, you've got to lose your life. What? That sounds like saying the opposite. That's the opposite of what, what's going on. That's like my four-year-old. She says opposite things as if they're both true. It doesn't make any sense. For instance, she says, she says, well, you got to know this about my four-year-old. She likes competition. I might have already told you this, but I'm going to tell you again. She likes competition. not sure where she gets that from, okay? But maybe from me and her mother. I don't know. But she likes competition. And so she wants everything to be a competition. And probably because when I played games with her, even when she was like two years old, I would always tell her, I won, <laughs> because I beat her every time. And and now I regret that, because now she thinks that the goal in everything is to win. And so it's time to go and get to the supper table. And she says, um, she says she runs in there. She gets and she's like, I won. I won. I, I got in my seat first. And I've heard my wife multiple times say, Letty, it's not a competition. And she'll say, I know. I was just seeing who would do it first. Wait a second. It's not a competition, but my goal is to be first. They can't both be true. Right. And the Bible is full of those things where it seems like. Okay, this is true, but we're supposed to live this way. Well, how does that work? Well, this is one of those. We are free. He says, live as free people. 
by submitting. In our minds, we go, that seems like two opposite things. How does that work, right? If I'm free, that means I can do whatever I want to do. I don't have to submit. But that's the wrong understanding and definition of what the Bible talks about as Christian freedom. Notice here in verse 16, we are free. Peter calls Christians to live, really, that word there is submit, the, the, the live part. We're still in this, in this topic of submission. And so specifically the way we're living, he's talking about submitting. Submit as people who are free. Live as people who are free. He's telling them, you are free. He's not talking about in a, in a government sense. He's not talking about they live in a democracy or they live in a land of, where there's freedom to, to do certain things. And we would say that we live in a land that is blessed with many freedoms. He's not talking about that. He is talking about spiritual freedom. This would be true of Christians in any society. This is true of us and it's true of the Christians in China. It's true of Christians in Africa. It's true of Christians in Iran. We are free people as Christians. What does it mean to be free as Christians? Well, it means that we're freed from the chains of sin and our past manner of life. How has that happened? How is that possible? Well, Peter has told us, glance back, chapter 1, verse 18. We have the gospel, the good news, knowing that you are ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Just pause for just a moment and say that if you haven't trusted in Christ alone for salvation, I don't care what country you live in, even if it's the land of the free and the home of the brave, you're enslaved to your sin if you've never trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You are living as a slave to sin. What's the alternative? To believe that Jesus paid the price for your sin and be set free from your sin, but not to be your own God, not to serve yourself, but in our freedom, we serve the Lord. We serve the Lord. One writer said this, Christian freedom means being free to do not as we like, but as we ought. And what ought we to do as followers of Jesus? We ought to follow Jesus. We ought to live in obedience to him and we ought to live ultimately in submission to him. Which means we are not free to sin. Notice that, that second phrase there in verse 16. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover up for evil. Not saying, well, I'm free from my sin, so I can do, how, do whatever I want to do. Our Christian freedom is not a license to sin. You say, well, I can obey the law of the land if I want or I don't have to. I'm free in Christ. No. That's a misunderstanding of freedom. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 16, uh, Paul, writing to the Galatians, talks about our freedom in Christ. There it's in the context of, of being bound to the law versus being freed from the law. But we can learn something that would apply to this passage. He says, for you are called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Makes me think of what Peter said back in verse 11. Abstain from the passions of the flesh. So if the passion of my flesh is to not pay my taxes or to, in some other way, revolt against the governing authorities without due cause. I would say my freedom is not giving me an opportunity for the flesh. In fact, it gives me the opportunity and the privilege and the responsibility to obey God. 
And that's what he says in the third phrase in verse 16. Instead of using our freedom as a cover for evil, we live as servants of God. Our freedom is meant to be exercised by living in obedience to God. So if God says submit to the governing authorities, then we should obey, not because we are slaves of the state, but because we are slaves of God. Our freedom from sin means we know we have the freedom to choose to obey God. Again, another writer said this true liberty, according to the New Testament, means that there is freedom to do what is right. Hence, only those who are slaves of God are genuinely free. Believers are called upon to live under God's lordship, obeying the government as God's servants. Truth number four. Truth number four is this. Our submission to the government is second to our submission to God. Our submission to the government is second It's in second place. What's in first place? Our submission to God. Now, Peter ends this section, this small section here in verse 17 with four commands. I mean, they're just really short. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. I want to speak of the first two very quickly, and then I want to go to the last two. First one, honor everyone. Listen, all people are created in the image of God. And are worthy of and deserving of dignity and respect from us. Honor everyone. Second command, love the brotherhood. While we honor everyone, and in one sense we do love all people, there's a unique relationship we share as Christians. Who is this brotherhood? He's talking about the family of God. He's talking about the family of God. As he said in chapter 2, these living stones that are being built together. Every one of you who's a believer and every believer in the world. We are the brotherhood and we are to live with a unique kind of love for one another. Our love for one another is a witness to the world. Fits right in with this theme of mission. And the reality of of a brotherhood is a reminder that although we are exiles trying to silence the ignorance of foolish people, we're not doing this by ourselves. We have one another. What about these last two commands? Fear God, honor the emperor. I would say this. Both are equally commands, but both are not equal commands. Both are equally commands of God. We are to fear God and we are to honor the emperor. Insert whatever governmental leader you want there for emperor. But they are not equal commands. Here's what I mean. and I think Peter means by this. We are never called to fear the government or any other human. What does this word fear mean? It's not talking about being scared, running around scared, hiding under the cover scared. It means ultimate allegiance, ultimate reverence, ultimate respect. At the end of the day, who ultimately is calling the shots in my life? Who ultimately is my king? That is who I fear. And ultimate allegiance belongs to God and God alone. So here's what these two commands together mean. And we've seen this theme just hinted at all throughout this passage. If submitting to the government means denying our allegiance to God and living in disobedience to him, then and only then should we choose to not submit to governing authorities. A few biblical examples. You ever heard of a man named Daniel and his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, 
and Azariah. Probably know them better as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They found themselves as God's people living in a foreign land. The people of Israel have been, have been sent into exile. They were exiles. They were God's people, but they were living in a land that didn't honor God. And they were called on to eat food that God had told them not to eat. And so they have a choice to make. Do we submit to the governing authority, earthly authority, or do we submit to God? And they chose to submit to God. And they, in that situation, were shown favor. They didn't get in trouble for it. A little while later, Daniel had another opportunity, another choice to make. He was commanded by the king not to pray to God. And what did he do? He prayed to God. What was the result? He wasn't shown favor by the king. He was thrown into a den of lions. Now, he was shown favor by God, and God protected him. But Daniel had to choose between honoring God and honoring the king, and he chose to honor God. What about the apostles? Great example of when we have this this predicament. Do we honor God or honor the governing authorities? Acts chapter 5. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council. The them is the apostles. The they are the religious leaders. When they had brought them, they set them before the council. And the high priest, he would be a governing leader, questioned them saying, We strictly charge you not to teach in this name. Talking about the name of Jesus. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching. And you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. You say, well, that's in the Bible. What about today? There's a man by the name of Hugh Shigen. He's Chinese. He lives in China. And he has been held since 2015 in custody on charges of subverting state power. Subverting state power. So what did he do? What law did he break? Well, he's a Christian. And that's why he's there. You say, how do they know that he was a Christian? Well, he got baptized. And somebody took a picture of it. I don't know if they posted it online or something happened like that. But that was used as evidence against him that he was a follower of Jesus. And he has been in custody ever since. You say, well... He should have lived in obedience to what God says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13 through 17. Except that Jesus commanded us to be baptized. And he was just doing what God told him to do. He had to make a choice. Do I obey God or do I obey humans? And he made the right choice and he chose to obey God. Let me give you just a few questions to ask when we're trying to decide. Is this something that I should submit to the government in or is this something that I should not? If I submit, can I say it's for the Lord's sake? In other words, this is going to honor Jesus when I do this. If I submit, will I still be living as a servant of God? Remember, we are people who are free and we're to live as servants of God. So if I submit to the government in this instance, will I still be living as a servant of God? Third question If I submit, will I be living in fear of God? That means living by showing a deep reverence for God as God, as the supreme authority in my life. 
Remember that summary statement I gave you? It's really a uh, driving force throughout this whole passage. Exiles on mission must submit to governing authorities for the glory of God. For the glory of God. If I submit in this moment, will it lead people to believe that God is worthy of ultimate obedience? That Jesus alone is worthy of worship? If the answer is no, then we have to choose to obey God and not obey the governing authorities. But that's the exception to the rule. Generally, our lives should be lived in submission to the governing authorities. We can't say, well, it's inconvenient. Well, it's not my preference. That's not the test. (laughs) The test is, can I do this and God be honored and glorified? Exiles on mission must submit to governing authorities for the glory of God. Listen, church, we are on mission. We are. We are exiles on mission. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13 through 17 is God's word. It's a part of the mission. The way that we live on mission for God in this world is by being obedient to him. And one of the things that he has called us to do is submit to the governing authorities. And so if we're going to live on mission, and if we're going to back up the message of salvation that we proclaim with a life that shows that we really are following Jesus, one of the things we will do is pay our taxes among lots of other things. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. And God, even a passage like this, where, just to be honest, before you, we would say, you know, this isn't the most exhilarating passage of Scripture in in your word, God. At the same time, I praise you for this passage. Because I thank you that you care enough about us to teach us how we are to live in different areas of our life. Father, you want every area of our life to be lived in submission to you. And so I thank you that you told us how do we relate to the governing authorities. And Father, I know there are lots other, a lot of other questions and even other, other questions I have and other things that, that I would love to talk about in light of this topic. But Father, for now, help us just to keep it simple and, and, and think How am I submitting or not submitting to the governing authorities? Father, in light of this passage, it would be simple to complain while we submit to the governing authorities. Because that would mean we're complaining about being obedient to you, God. So I pray pray that you would search our hearts. Help us know that we are free. We're people who are free in Christ. That freedom comes with a responsibility to serve you. And so we want to honor you in this, but we also want to live for the good of the lost around us. And Father, if if the lost around us see us living in disobedience to the governing authorities, complaining about it all the time, Father, we may be giving them grounding. We may be providing them evidence for their accusations against us. Father, I pray that we would live in such a way that it would silence their accusations So that as we fill our lives with good deeds, one of those being submission to governing authorities, Father, as we do that, that people would be led to glorify you with their lives. Father, I just pray that we would be obedient to this. Help us, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.